Welcome to the Winner Circle with Derek Pang and Bianca Leger. On this podcast, we'll introduce you to real-world heroes who have stepped outside their safe, known worlds to pursue and live their win, their best lives. This is a choice we all get to make. The intention behind these conversations is to uplift, inspire, and empower you to move forward with greater faith, trust, and belief in yourself on your hero's journey ahead. Let's go, hero. All right, welcome to another episode of Welcome to the Winner Circle, and I'm very excited to introduce to you all today's guest. On today's episode, alongside co-host Bianca Leger, we interview a professional dancer, a seasoned Broadway performer, an actress, a wife, a mother, and a brain cancer survivor. Welcome to the Winter Circle, Kathleen Redster. Redford. Redford. Nobody can say my last name right anyway. <laughs> well, welcome, Catherine Redford, and we're so grateful to have you on. And as I mentioned, as we kind of prepared for this call the goal of these pod this podcast these conversations to really uplift inspire and empower everyone to sing along and i know you and your story will do just that and the first question is a very positive one um which i think fits really well with your vibe and that is right here right now Catherine. what do you love about your world right now oh um well everything i mean <laughs> um just the fact that my kids are home and like we played that we, when you texted me this morning to remind me that I was supposed to do this today, we were playing a game of cards. The four of us at our house were playing a game of cards, which my son had learned from a, one of his classmates and we were just having the best time. I think I've won once in like the whole time of this whole vacation. We've played it almost every day. So, um, but it's just a game where we can just play and have fun. And it's it, it lasts about 20 minutes a game. And so we were playing it for about an hour and I got the text. I was like, oh no, I have to get ready. <laughs> That's such a good sign when yeah. you're forgetting about the things you have to do. Yeah. We were just playing a game of cards and uh, just sitting in our living room, which is right behind us. Um, playing a game of cards with both my kids and my husband and just we were sort of eating breakfast at the same time on the ground and just realizing that that's all that really mattered right then and that was the best thing ever. Mm, those yeah. little moments. Yeah. <laughs> that's so I'm precious. Like, yeah yeah I'm like feeling into her moment of like just sitting on the ground. I love sitting on the ground as well yeah. and just being with your loved ones. It's yeah. so precious especially mm -hmm. at this time. Well, and one's 11 and one's eight. And so they're, you know, they're, and because of COVID, they haven't been able to play with their friends or anything. Oh. So it's a, a great thing that they actually aren't killing each other and mm -hmm. that they are enjoying each other's company and that we know my husband and I have sort of figured out how to like <laughs> keep them from fighting, you know, instead of like, you know, punishing them, we just make them do squats and push-ups. Oh, so they're going to extremely strong <laughs> however um i i think that that's that's a way to keep them you know the louder they yell the more sit-ups they do right so, yeah yeah it, it sounds like a, a strategy that doesn't have many negative side effects to it Just no getting stronger and right. yeah. i won't be able like to um hold them off <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> and and they're at an age where they still enjoy being with their parents. Yes, they do. Like, thankfully, I I, yeah. I know some people that have kids that are the same age as mine, and they don't have anything to do with their parents. And I'm like, I don't think I could handle yeah. that. Like, I still get to snuggle my son, who's almost, well, he'll be 12 this year. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I don't think that's weird, but a lot of people do. And I just am thankful that he, like, calls me mommy and snuggles up to me and wants me to rub his feet at night and doesn't want me to leave him. But, yeah, yeah my daughter's eight and she just is my, is my little girl, too. It's so precious. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, thank you for that snapshot, Catherine. And in the intro... We listed many different titles, different hats that you wear. Um, a dancer, Broadway performer, actress. I ran, a, I ran a mortgage company. I'm I'm a nurse. <laughs> yeah. So there's a there's I feel as though I've had like eight different lives. And one and, wants to be a cat, so. <laughs> and amongst all these different lives, all these different hats, what would you say is the overarching mission that? inspires and leads you on all that you do whether that be as a wife a mother a dancer um i and all your roles what so would be I, that overarching mission right so i think it all changed the day i was diagnosed um i sort of had like a plan for this and a plan for that and a plan for that and then uh the day i was diagnosed my whole world got flipped completely upside down um and what mattered before didn't matter at all. Um, and what I cared about didn't matter to me at all. <laughs> um, it was more about enjoying the time I had and figuring out what I wanted to do with the time that I had. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, I just graduated nursing school, taken my NCLEX exam and um, passed it and was, and, and, and I sort of had, a year where I had to, I had a, a weight craniotomy, four different kinds of chemo and, and uh, radiation for um, six weeks. And I had all that time to sort of think, what do I really want to do with this, the rest of my life that I've been given? And I decided it was, I wanted to perform again. <laughs> um, so I was living in Oklahoma <laughs> at the time. And we were, we, as soon as I was diagnosed, we decided to move back to Winnipeg. Um, my husband was originally from Oklahoma and we had um, moved there uh, briefly from Los Angeles because we didn't, we wanted to be able to raise our kids with their grandparents and relatives because in LA we had nobody. And so we moved to um, Oklahoma and then from there, once I was diagnosed, I just needed my mom. So we decided we were moving back to Winnipeg. So we decided to move back to Winnipeg and I um, started getting in shape to be a dancer again um, at the age of, well, I had just turned 33. I was 32 when I was diagnosed and I turned 33 four days later. So I, um, I started training and singing and you know, because of the radiation, my, my vocal cords were kind of crappy. And so I had to like relearn how to sing with those, those vocal cords. I had to just, I also think that taking care of myself helped me feel as though I was a little bit in control, even though I really wasn't in control. Uh, it helped me sort of feel that I was doing something for myself and not just, um, for those around me, which is also important when you when you're diagnosed with such a horrible thing. Um, 
but I also felt as though my mom was there. She spent nine out of the 12 months that I've still lived in Oklahoma with us down there. Mm -hmm. um, and then once we moved back, we I, I can almost see my parents' house out the window from where I live. So it's we moved back and bought a house really close to theirs. And um, my sister just lives down the street down there. And so it was nice to just be surrounded by family. But for me, um, my what what is the emphasis of my life right now is that being present in in today's in this moment right mm -hmm. it's not like oh, i and i i do do this and i i'm guilty of this too but i i try not to think too far ahead um because you know like my my husband's like oh we're gonna go on vacation in a year or two and i'm like i don't know if we'll be around so let's not plan for that let's just live today and we can do what we want to do tomorrow um so it's it's a little bit um, different from how I lived before, like com completely different from how I lived before. Um, I takes a lot to really make me mad. <laughs> like uh, I don't really get upset anymore. Um, mm -hmm. it, it just, it really takes a lot to make me angry. And uh, I just can laugh at a lot of, a lot of things now that people get angry about. I'm like, Oh, it must be nice to just be worried about that and not about anything else. That must be nice. And I don't, I don't like shame them or feel any, I'm just like, I'm happy that that's what they can be upset about. Right. I'm not, I'm not saying, Oh, you're, you're such a bad person because you're upset about that. No, it's just like, that's amazing. I wish, I wish that I actually don't wish because now I don't worry about anything, <laughs> but <laughs> it's still, it's still, um, something that I'm sort of in awe about and that people can get so upset about such tiny little things that don't really matter at all. Mm -hmm. So did I answer your question? I sort of lost my train of thought during that. <laughs> I think so. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, when I hear this, what comes up for me is like, it's, it's crazy how the proximity of of um life and death really makes us re-envision everything and i i'm really interested into learning how you experience that like what it was like with the diagnosis and and the battle that you've been fighting but um i'm i'm really interested in how it kind of redirects us in our soul's calling like something inside of us is like wait i still have so much to offer and you were redirected towards dancing and performing is yeah. that something you were already doing before or it's like you were just already doing that yeah so i as a young kid um i started i was dancing always dancing um and i had even though i'd never been to new york i knew i was going to dance on broadway um so when i was just turned 18 i i moved to toronto mm -hmm. and um got into uh, the Stratford Festival. I did West Side Story there. Um, and then when I got back from there, I um, I went to New York and got a job on, on Broadway, basically. There's there's so much more that happened in between there, like lots of little tiny stories, but I don't think we have time for that on this. Um, but uh, but so, I, I, so I, I remember taking a bus to New York right before I went to um, the Stratford Festival with my best friend Christine and I bought us <laughs> I bought us overnight tickets because it was if you buy one you get another one for free and I said you're coming to New York with me Christine so we took an overnight bus 
um, to New York. We stayed in, a, a, it was called the Banana Boat. It was a hostel that is no longer there. And uh, we, like, we had like our, just our big like duffel bags with us. And we <laughs> went to TKTS, which is like a place you can go and line up and get tickets for like $20. Um, to any kind of Broadway show if, if they're on the TKTS list. So we went and saw Chicago, uh, Scarlet Pimpernel, and Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> and, and that was the first time I'd been in New York. And I remember getting off the bus and going to a payphone. This is in 1998. And calling my mom. And she accepted the charges. And I said, Mom, I'm home. And so from that moment on, I just knew that I wanted to be on Broadway. So it was like a year later that I ended up performing on Broadway. Wow. Yeah. And I just knew that I, that's what I wanted to do. So I did that for a couple of years. I moved to LA. Um, and then I did a bunch of other stuff. They ran a mortgage company for like, I did some films in LA. Then I uh, ran a mortgage company for three years and then I became a nurse. And while I was becoming a nurse, I met my husband and we had two kids while I was studying nursing. <laughs> I, yeah. I graduated nursing, um on the 12th of may and had my daughter on the 18th of may yeah wow <laughs> <laughs> and then on june 24th i was diagnosed with brain cancer wow so my daughter was five weeks old when i was diagnosed wow yeah it was quite it, quite uh, the ride but so yeah so after that i sort of had that year to sort of figure out why did I stop dancing? Why did I stop? I hadn't really done anything for night, like danced or sung or anything for like nine years. And um, I was like going to be a nurse. I was going to do this. And, and where my um, brain tumor was, I, I couldn't have been a nurse anyway, because um, it was right on my speech center. So I sometimes say things that I don't mean, like I think things in my head and something else comes out of my mouth. So um, I wouldn't want me to be my nurse <laughs> if it was me. So I, I, um, I decided to let that go. Um, I'm still grateful for all of the knowledge that I gained from nursing. I don't regret that at all. Um, I know, I know like if my kids are sick, I can, I can sort of self-diagnose them and know whether or not I need to take them to the hospital or whether I need to go to the doctors or not. Um, but, um, uh, it's sort of, sorry, what was it? Was I trying to answer? So yeah, and that's the other thing too. I have really no uh, short-term memory, so I forget what I'm saying. What was I answering? I'm the exact same way. I'm always like right with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Derek, do you know what I was trying to answer? Yeah, no, you're you're answering exactly what, what we're asking and what we need to know, just letting it come naturally and fish flow. So it's beautiful. Um, I have so many areas I want to branch this conversation off to. Sure. Um, but let's talk about manifestation. Um, you've manifested such beautiful things in your life um, by, I believe, thinking it, feeling it, and then allowing it to become. I, I think the feeling part is a big piece of your story. Um, so let's just talk about manifestation, how you manifest yourself as a Broadway dancer, an actress, as a nurse, as a mother, as a survivor. Um, I believe you had a part in in, in all of that. And I think everybody has a part in what their life becomes. Um, you know, I think that their attitude towards life is a big deal. I think it's a bigger deal than most people realize um, that, you know, I like, even when I was in like high school, my, my friend's parents were saying like, oh, you know, it's very rare to get a job on Broadway, like only like point 
0.00002% make it. I'm like, well, I'm going to make it. So I'll be that 0.00.2%. So, you know, <laughs> yes. but, um, and they were like, oh, we'll see, we'll see. And I did, you know, and, you know, it's just the same as same. I feel the same way about when I was diagnosed with cancer, I could either um, go home and cry or I, which well, I did, but I could either go home and cry and stay that way and stay sad and stay depressed, or I can use my nursing knowledge to um, get me more into providing um, money for research to um, to raise money and talk about my story to help raise money for the uh, for research that is also done here in Manitoba as well as any everywhere in Canada as well as in the states and raise awareness that it's okay to talk about having a brain tumor it's okay to it's okay to talk about anything you really want to talk about um if it affects you and it affects the people around you you should be talking about it i don't i don't think that it's it's not shameful. It's not any, like I didn't do anything to have brain cancer. Just like, you know, my mom has um, type one diabetes and she's very embarrassed about it. And I keep telling her there's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's not your fault. You didn't cause it. And so it's just like I now she's better at, at talking about it and, and all that kind of stuff. But she kept it a secret for so long from all of her friends and from and I was like, Mom, it's it's OK. You're it's allowed. You don't have to be embarrassed by it. And it's just a matter of people talking and people engaging with each other mm-hmm. and and a matter of understanding where that person is in their journey. And I know a lot of I, I'm I run a support group for people with brain cancer every third Wednesday of the month. And a lot of people are like, how do you even talk about it? Like how you're talking about it? And I'm like, well, because I can't change it. <laughs> um, I have it. And I think it's, if I could pick anybody in my family and my uh, universe to have it, I think that I'm the greatest person to have it because now I can talk about it and help people that are going through it um, in a way that I don't think, like my sister wouldn't have been able to reach out and talk to people. My mom wouldn't be, you know, and I, I just feel like if it had to happen to somebody, it's great that it happened to me because now I can help other people. I don't know. I just take that. I take it as like a sign that I'm I'm the person that I can just help people. Yeah, yeah. I I like that. Like the saying that you're not given more than you can handle. Right. And and we're definitely we we grow so much from these challenges. But you're you're totally right. You can have two people have the same situation and the the way that it's experienced and the way yeah. that it being shared is so different um and I'm really grateful that you bring up the shame and the this this feeling of discomfort that we often feel just talking about things that we qualify as taboo or just because it's like we think it's unpleasant so we don't want to talk about it right and then we have all these people who are experiencing this and everybody is experiencing challenges uh, whether as big as a as a cancer or like the it's it's a it's a big thing in our society but we don't it's true we don't really talk about what the experience is like and so I've also experienced like people saying oh I don't not as bad as you I'm like no whatever you are going through Mm -hmm. it's the most biggest Mm -hmm. thing for you so if you're just upset that like you got a bad grade or you whatever you can be as upset as I am I'm not going to make a judgment and people like, oh, I don't want to complain because you're going through this. I'm like, no, complain, please complain (laughs) because they shouldn't be made to feel like 
not one thing is better or, or worse than the other, you know, right. and everybody has their own struggles and they deal with them in, in the way that they deal with them. And I think that that's important to notice as well. Right. Yeah. yeah I really appreciate this uh, mindset that you're sharing with us. And I'd like you to take a moment and just reflect on who has helped you along your path, whether they be helpers or mentors that help you see the way you see. Um, you mentioned your family as big people. So um, maybe just, just a mention of who were those big influences in your life? And what were the primary lessons that they taught you that you are embodying in your current being? Well, I have to say my mom. <laughs> um, she has done everything for me. Um, uh, she's taught me to never, ever, ever go to bed mad at anybody. Um, and I still have, I still can't do that. Like my husband and I are having a fight. I'm like, you can't go to bed. I'm mad at you. Um, so we like stay up until we're not fighting anymore. Um, and the same with my kids. I've, I've taught them that, you know, it's, it's not okay to feel those feelings because that person might not be there tomorrow. Um, and that's sort of why my mom told me, she's, she said, you can't ever go to bed mad at anybody because that person might not be around tomorrow or you might not be around tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's part of my taking every day by at a time mm -hmm. that, that complements that as well. Um, because if I could just wake up tomorrow and be fine, you know, and just like have another conversation with them tomorrow, that'd be fine, but I might not. Yeah. And I think that's sort of what my feeling is. It's like, this is the day and, and that taking that moment to fix every, not to fix everything, but to make everything okay between that person and yourself or, or decide we have to agree to disagree on this mm -hmm. and I love you. I'm not mad at you. We can talk about this tomorrow. Right. So you sort of put that thing in place that I'm not mad at you. We can like, we just have to agree to disagree and we can figure it out and figure it out in a agreeable way later, yeah. <laughs> but never go to bed mad at anybody. Um, and never, and also too, like my husband has taught me like, uh, to just have the love for each other. Um, and know that that love is what is going to carry you through the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day that that will always be there. Mm -hmm. And same with like, my mom and my dad and my, my sister and my kids, especially my kids. Um, Quinn doesn't know me any other way than this. Elliot remembers a little bit, like when I had long hair and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but like, we're very open about talking about everything, like everything we talk about everything. So, um, they they know that I'm gonna die at some point and and you know and Quinn especially is I think I believe she was sent to us for a very good reason. Um, she is the most calm and collected and cool out of all four of us in our family, <laughs> and she knows she can tell when I'm upset without me saying it. She'll just come and just give me a hug. And just like lay her head on my chest or she'll she'll just like hold my hand if i'm like even if i'm not showing then i'm she can tell 
right? Mm -hmm. So I, and I think like when she was a baby, she was the best little kid ever, like, and she's still an amazing kid. So, and I mean, not that Elliot isn't, but we've had our challenges with him and it's, it's all good. We're, 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 it's great, but for her, she's a very special girl. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So I feel as though she was sort of sent to us for a reason. Oh, I love that. I heard so many things in what you shared. First, I, I hear um, the importance of like being more light with our experiences because you remind us that it's okay to feel like like the shame and every emotion and the sadness but like the letting go the not going to bed holding on to this because it's so heavy and and that's what I get from you from listening is like how can we actually enjoy this time that we have because it's so precious so yeah it's crazy how these big experiences they remind us of that can you kind of run me through what goes on inside somebody's mind when you get a diagnosis like that like what Uh, what does that feel like well at first um they do they did well I went to the hospital because I thought something was wrong with my heart because I had just given birth um I was dizzy I, you know, had major headache and I thought I had um, post-pregnancy cardiomyopathy. So I just thought my heart couldn't keep up with, um, like I lost a ton of, I had given birth, so I'd lost a ton of weight. I was breast, I was feeding her, feeding her, um, you know, and I just like, maybe I wasn't drinking enough water, you know, so I just thought um, that I, I needed, or I actually didn't want to go to the hospital. I called my midwife and she said, you need to go to the hospital. I, t- I said, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. And she said, go to the emergency room right now. I was like, ha ha ha, you're very funny. She said, no, like now, go right now. I was like, fine. But because I had just finished my nursing degree, I knew all the people at the hospital that I was going to. And um, she said, just go to, just go to the hospital. And I actually trained with her as well. My mid, my midwife, I did a, a session on with her as the, as like a, as a midwife. And so, um, so she worked at the hospital where I went. So I, I went to that hospital and I, I knew all the ER nurses too. And they're like, Oh, you brought Quinn, my daughter. Mm-hmm. And cause I was still breastfeeding her. And so I went in and they, they took me right in and they were like, Oh, and, and they were like, didn't even ask me what was wrong. And then they're like, Oh, why are you here? I'm like, Oh, well, Leanne told me to come in. She says, she thinks there might be something wrong with my heart. So they did two EKGs and um they didn't see anything and um so then they said oh you could have like a small brain bleed because you gave birth naturally and pushing and stuff okay fair enough so i gave them quinn and i went in to do a quick ct scan and then when i came out everybody's faces were like white and Mm. and i was like oh can i have quinn they're like no we're just gonna don't don't move just stay here and i was just like but very funny um you know and i just i still didn't even get it at that point because I like it was so I just felt fine I just had like a major headache and I just was I was sleeping like I had a two-year-old I had a newborn I just finished work I was you know I was just feeding her all night and I just thought I was just not getting enough sleep or whatever and so um they then a whole bunch of doctors started coming in the room like neurosurgeons and, and surgeons and anesthesiologists and I was like wait what and they're like you have a mass in your on your brain and I was like take it out. And they were like, no, it's a, it's a pretty big mass. And I was like, 
well, so, and, but I didn't really, I, they didn't say you have a tumor, you have cancer, I didn't say anything of that, I just have a mass. Mm -hmm. Well, like, is it like AVM is like, what, just take, can you just like take it out? And they were like, um, do you want to see it? And so they showed me and it was like bigger than my fist, like right here. And, Mm -hmm. um, uh, here, I'll show you a picture of it. (laughs) Um, but at the same time, they, I was like, huh, can I call my husband? (laughs) So I called him and he didn't answer. Um, and so here, can you see that? Mm, wow. Yeah. Um, so, uh, called him, I left a message. (laughs) I just didn't, I didn't tell him what it was, but he, he ended up, he was teaching. And so he called me back, um, uh, a little bit later. And I said, I have a a tumor in my head and I don't, they, they're going to do more tests, I think. And then, and then can you come? <laughs> so he sort of like, he, he, he ran, he owns a martial arts studio. And, uh, so he sort of like asked him like, and my wife has a brain tumor. I have to go. And they sort of like, said, go, go, go. They closed up this door, like his store for him there or this, uh, where he taught for him. And for some reason he picked up my son on the way. I mean, we weren't thinking, right. We, he like picked up my son on the way to, to come and, um, he got there and, uh, I wasn't there. I was doing an MRI. And so I didn't have Quinn with me. So he was like, where's my daughter? And they sort of knew who he was. So like, Oh, she's right here. Blah, blah, blah. And so by the time I got up, I, I, I just remember being in the MRI and like, tears rolling down my eyes because I just thought my whole life has just changed mm-hmm. and I don't know what to do now. And, and I, I didn't get to talk to my, to anybody. I just came down here. I, t- I, I don't know what to do. And I, I have all these phone calls I need to make and I can't make them. I don't know. I can't remember anybody's phone number. And I'm like, and I just felt like sort of panicked, but I just remember lying there because the, the, the MRI was in the basement. So like I walked down in like, like booties that they'd given me in my hospital gown. Mm. And I said, I, I need an MRI. <laughs> and there was like, I had a little sheet for it. And I remember there were two guys that gave I like, I don't remember any of my other MRIs, but this particular MRI, I remember. And they were like asking me if I was okay. And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> and then, so I just, they, like I had like a squeezy button you could squeeze if I needed anything. And I just remember lying there being like, okay, this is going to be a wild ride. And I just remember thinking that my life would never be the same. Um, Mm -hmm. But then, so I, so then my, some of the neurosurgeons talking to my husband while I'm down on the MRI and and they said, um, uh, we, we have to do the surgery. Your, your wife's brain is almost like um, being like, (laughs) um, shot out of her head because the tension is so much from this ball in her head. Um, so they have to do surgery right away. Um, but she's going to have to be awake because it's on her speech center. And my, and so like my husband was like, I had my son and my daughter there. My, my, my husband was like, she's, he stopped the doctor and was like, Oh, she's going to think that's cool. So, <laughs> and so then he continued on explaining. And so when I got back up, they told me that I was going to have surgery and to get it out. And he said, I have bad news. You're going to have to be awake. And I was like, that'll be cool. And my husband was like, I told you so. I told you so. 
So that sort of started us off in a way that we could sort of bond over the funny stuff. Mm. That makes sense. So we were able to like laugh at that and share that laughter. And so that's sort of how we got through the rest of it because um, it, it, it be, it, that very first day became a, not a joke, but it was something that we could share that laughter over and like laughter is the best medicine for everything I believe. So when like, so he started like beef, like, um, so they did the surgery and then you have to wait two weeks to get um, the biopsy and the diagnosis and everything. So um, we found out that it was cancerous and that I'd have to have radiation and chemotherapy and all that kind of stuff. But during that time where I, I really, I couldn't speak, I couldn't write, I couldn't sign. I had to relearn how to do all of that stuff. So, um, and so then I got sent home and I was still, I couldn't type, um, type anything. I couldn't text anything. I could just sort of talk slowly. And, um, he was making jokes about that and I made me laugh super hard. And I think one of the silliest things that my husband has ever said is like, I had the hiccups one time and I said in a very slow voice, I was like, I have the hiccups. Can you scare me? So, and he said, I said, he said, "Ah, guess what? I said, what? He said, you have a brain tumor. And I laughed so hard that my hiccups stopped. And like, that's just how, that's how we deal with things in our, it, Joel and I, like, it has to, has to make us laugh or we just don't, or we just don't, or we can't handle it, I guess. I mean, our way of dealing with it is trying to find the humor in what is going on. And so we've always done that. And that's one of the reasons why we got married. We, we can joke about things together and we share the same sense of humor. So uh-huh. that's important to find a partner that you can share that with. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I am so inspired by you. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, we, we fight all the time too. It's not like we are a perfect family. You know, we, we fight over the same things everybody fights over, you know, but we also know that it's not as important as it is for other people, if that makes any kind of sense. Mm-hmm. No. Absolutely. So for someone listening into this conversation and feeling inspired by something you said, whether that be to have more humor in their life, more laughter, uh, be more present, communicate um, what's on your heart, um, for somebody wanting to make a change and replace previous habits or a previous um, being, mm-hmm. how do you advise that change to take place? How has change, How have you had success in creating change in your life and how do you, would you advise another inspired by yours to begin creating that change in their life? So you've probably seen me every day I show up at set or the days that you were there and I was yeah. happy to be there, happy to be living, happy to be able to move my body in the way they wanted me to move my body, happy to be able to um, do auditions and eat and just be alive. And I think every morning I don't, I, for me, I exercise every morning. Um, I exercise mostly before my whole family is awake and that centers me and I stretch and I, I just, I need to do that. Otherwise I'm, I'm not a very, not, I'm a, 
not as nice a person if I don't exercise. Yeah. But that even if I just get a little bit of exercise in, that helps me deal with the day and that centers me. So if you want to do like a meditation or if you want to do like something that is just for yourself, very first thing in the morning. And that way, when I get to where I need to be present for everybody else, I have that sense of I've already taken care of myself. I know what I need to do for my own self. And I can be happy watching different people, how they react to different people and starting a new day from from nothing. Like no matter what happened yesterday, I can start a new day and go happily into the future with whatever it's going to hold for me. And I think being able to start a new day fresh is something that I think everybody could um, grab onto and maybe think about every day as a new day. Yeah. And, and just that it doesn't have to, you can have a bad day and then the next day can be good. Mm-hmm. So I think not going into the cycle of, this is a bad day. This is even worse. This is even worse. This is even worse. It's a matter of like, I had a really crappy day yesterday mm-hmm. and it's a new day today and I'm, and I'm going to try to make it better. And if that ends up being a crappy day, well, the next day is a new day as well. So I feel as though like it has to sort of, you can't just keep adding on to the bad days. It's just like every day is a different day. Right. Yeah. So um, I, there's a lot of power in, uh, well, right now I, I hear about uh, the power of the mindset of keeping a good mindset for ourselves so that we kind of keep the lens on the good stuff and enjoy ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and also the power of visualizing in the morning or meditating to yeah. actually, you know, like focus on what it is that we care about yeah. and just happy. Yeah. And to me, it's, it's it, like, for me, it's exercise. I think for you, Derek, it's like your, your meditation and all that kind of stuff. Um, I've never been a very good meditator. Um, <laughs> like I can't do it. It drives me insane, but I know that it's really help, like helpful for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and, or, or if it's like, um, like singing a song first thing in the morning or, or, um, or listening to music first thing in the morning for like a, a minute before you get out of bed, whatever it is you need to do that is just for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, wake up five minutes early and do it then, right? Or, you know what I mean? It's just a matter of doing something for yourself that then you can be like, okay, I took care of myself. Now I can take care of other things that people need me for or that I, because I'm a mom, you know, you know, it's like I have to make sure that I have enough energy for that by giving myself energy first. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Uh, and in this process, in this process of becoming, um, an obstacle that will always arise is resistance. And author Stephen Pressfield describes resistance as that invisible force that prevents us from fulfilling our dreams uh, and making forward progress. And it will come up to us time and time again, whether that be to, uh, to stay in bed when we should be exercising in the morning or to not make that move to Toronto when you're 18 mm-hmm. um, or whatever big decision you had on your path resistance will always come up so how have you dealt with resistance on in your journeys and how do you continuously um deal with it now when it arises uh well i never give up (laughs) 
Um, you know, I've been told no so many times as a Broadway performer, like, or as a performer in general, as somebody that lives their life out loud, as somebody that um, wants to please everybody, as somebody that um, wants to perform. I've been told no so many times. And that no pushes me further. Mm-hmm. Um, and that no could just be mean I'm not right for the role that I'm auditioning for, or you have something different in your mind, or um, and that's and that's I I do the very best I can with everything I do, and if they don't want me, that's not my problem. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I look at everything. Um, and if I do do a bad job, I'm like, well, I didn't do a very good job. That's probably why they didn't want me. Right? <laughs> Sometimes things happen so quickly, and you just don't, you can't do them. And I like, I've sent in a, a tape to one of my agents, and I was like, I sent it, and I was like, you know what? don't submit this because it wasn't my best. And I I don't have time to do my best right now. And I don't want them to see this and think that that was my best work. So I just had to say like, can you please let them know that I I can't do this audition? You know, so I I know, I know myself, I know what I'm capable of. I know, um, I know what I can and what I can't do. Um, I also understand that um, there are people who um, can't see the goodness of you or can't see past um, just what they see in front of them. They can't hear your voice. They can't um, feel your soul. You, you know what I mean? It's a very, it's a very big thing. And, and for that, I, I don't feel, I don't feel sorry for myself. I feel sorry for them because it's, it's, or if they just can't see past whatever it is they can't see past i don't feel hate or regret or anything like that i just i'm like i'm sorry that you can't see that i'm sorry you can't um see past whatever it is you can't see past and i think that that has kept me in a positive um way to go about being told no so many times <laughs> because i think that it if you're doing a great job, it's just not a matter of you're not good enough. It's a matter of you're not right. And I've not been not right for many things, but I've been right for a lot of things. And I'm very grateful for that. And so um, I've, I've also gone back to audition for things that I knew I was right for. And I have actually gotten those parts. So um, like, like when I, when I auditioned for West Side Story, I didn't have an agent. I didn't have anybody. And um, there was like 300 people showed up for the audition and the person, it was the assistant choreography. She just kept the people that she knew because how else could she do it? And um, so then they had the auditions and there was like a final call, call back and I was at a party um, at, and somebody was saying, oh, I have my final call back for West Side tomorrow and Sergio's going to be there. And so I was like, hmm, Sergio, I think, I think that might be the choreographer. So I went home and I had long blonde hair at the time, cut off all my hair and dyed it black, went without a resume or anything. And I, and I, some of, like, some of them were like, yeah, you look familiar. And I was like, no, I've never been here before. Sergio asked me to come. This was when I was 18. Sergio asked me to come and they're like, oh, Sergio. So I had learned the, the routine from one of the other kids and or one of the other women. And um, 
I stood right in the front of the choreo and I was the first one hired for the show. So it's like, I, I just don't take no for an answer, especially when I know that they were, that they did, that they didn't see me. They didn't mm -hmm. see me. They weren't able to see me. It was, it wasn't their fault, but I knew that I needed to go back. And that's been mm -hmm. like that for a couple different things that I've gotten when I was told no at first. Yeah. So I just, I'm like, oh, they didn't get a chance to see what I did. Well, I'll come back and show them again. <laughs> I love that. I love that the inner knowing is so strong. So like, yeah, nothing can get in your way. You yeah. already know. Well, and I also know that there are things that I'm not right for. Mm -hmm. And I don't and I don't put myself forward for those things. Or I might and not get it and that's fine with me. But yeah. I know there are certain things that I can do and that I and that I work hard enough to do, you know? Definitely. So. So for someone out there uh, listening in with a dream, uh, whether that be dream to move to a new city, pursue their passion for Broadway, um, pursue their passion for dance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but they feel stuck, paralyzed by fear, what advice would you give this hero on the path um, at that crossroads of should they should do this because this is what society says, religion, parents, culture. Um, but then they have that must that's calling them to do that, that move, to do that, um, pursue that passion for Broadway, to be a dancer. What is your input for this hero? So whatever is your wish or your, your desire or whatever, if that is truly your wish, um, don't let, um, so for me, uh, my parents are both agricultural journalists and uh, my sister is an architect and I'm really the only one that is a performer at all. Um, well, not really. My mom, my mom sang with Gilbert and, Gilbert and Sullivan, but she can't dance. She can't like, she has two left feet. Um, so I'm the only one that dances. My sister has two left feet. My dad doesn't even exercise at all. Um, but they knew that by, if they tried to tell me, not to do what I was the most passionate about that I would completely write them off. I'd be like, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. Um, so like mm, you and, uh, but, um, so they were very supportive, but if they hadn't been, I would have been like, Oh, well, I can do this myself. But, um, I think that if the thing that you're passionate about, if you will always regret not going after it, you have to do it. And you know what? You can just take two years. That's not a long time, two years to see if it works for you or if you can um, figure out a way to do it. And if it doesn't work in two years, it's probably not gonna happen. You can do it as a part-time, but if you don't try, you will always think, what if I did this? Mm -hmm. And and if you even try it and it leads you to something different than like what you were gonna do before, that's great too. So it's just a path that you have to take. And for me, it, there wasn't even an option of me not doing what I'm doing right now um, or what it, or when I started my journey um, because you know I I went to school when I was 29 so I had to be a nurse so there's no rules and there there are rules but you don't have to follow them um, <laughs> not that there are rules there are certain expectations and if you want your parents to pay for your college, and you want this and you want that, go ahead and do that. But I never did. I never wanted to. I went to school later. I got, I had a 
um, at four point grade average. I got I got paid to go to school when I was 29. So you can do things in different orders, right? It doesn't have to happen in the way that society tells you to to do it. And I mean, it's getting a lot better now than it was when I was graduating, like in 98 from high school. Um, so it's much, uh, it's a much freer path. And like for my kids, I'm like, go and do whatever you want to do after you graduate high school. If you want to go to, if you want to go to college right away, go for it. Um, you're going to have to pay for it. You're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to work to be able to pay for it. You're going to, you know, and I will help them of course, but you know, it's not, I'm not just going to pay for them to go mess up their lives or you know what I mean? I just want them to, I want them to travel. I want them to enjoy themselves. I want them to have a year of freeness um, to explore who they are, who they want to be. I don't like, I'm not going to tell my kids they have to go to school because I didn't go to school when I graduated and go to school for 11 years later. So it's, I just want them to, if my son wants to drive a bus and is super passionate about driving a bus, go ahead and drive a bus. And to me, it doesn't matter what they do as long as they're happy and passionate and, and love each other. So, it's, and you know, I don't, it doesn't matter to me what they do at all. <laughs> and I think that that's important for them to know as well. Like I'm not expecting them to do anything except for be happy with what they're doing mm-hmm. and, and love what they do for work or if they yeah. want to, you know what I mean? It's not, yes. I don't expect them to be doctors or, or, or lawyers or, you know, dentists. It's like, Whatever you can do, I'm totally fine with. You don't yeah. have a big house. You don't have to have anything. You can, you know, I don't know. It's just, I just want them to know that. And they, they do. They do. Yeah. It's really so cool. much. Yeah. To enjoying, enjoying that yeah. time we have. Yeah. Because it's not guaranteed. Yeah. Not guaranteed. Right. So much love in your words and in your sharing and um, all your journey. Love has come up. Yeah. Through it all, what has what does love mean to you? What have you learned about love on your path? Well, I'm not very religious. Um, uh, my husband is, I'd say he's an atheist. Um, we don't go to church. We don't do anything. But um, my mom, we belong to the United Church. I was baptized at a United Church. And, um, my mom has always said that God is love. Um, and so I just, I just love, um, everyone. And I think that if you look at, um, look at it that way and have empathy for people that, that don't have any themselves, um, not sympathy, just empathy and, and be able to understand how that must feel to them to be feel trapped or feel targeted or feel any other way but love um i i am so grateful that i have my mom to teach me that and to have the amazing family that i have and to express that with my husband and my kids and um i i think love has been one of the best things in my world that has gotten me through the journeys that I've been through, knowing that, knowing that I always had love and that nothing I could do would take that away has been such a blessing to me. And that's what I, I want to teach my children and teach my children how to give to their spouse or to their children or to the other people in their lives that care about them 
is that it's not okay to be cruel and to treat other people with unkindness mm -hmm. that um even if you don't like that person that day that's okay but to say like i hate you um or anything like that i i it's not okay <laughs> and i know they don't mean it but sometimes that's how it comes it comes up other bodies like that um and they're kids so i mean that's understandable but to to make sure that they know that the hate isn't isn't real and it's just that that feeling of 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 getting mad you know and they can be mad and i'm okay with them being mad but to 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 not carry it on and to like let it go like what you were saying before like you just need to be able to just sort of let it go and we're sort of treating our whole family like our whole family sort of understands that and that, that it's not um something you can hold on to mm -hmm. yeah that's a good reminder yeah so much golden sharing through this conversation uh, that we're both so grateful for um to close every interview, every conversation, we ask each guest the final two questions, and uh -oh. we're, we're at that we're at that point. Okay. The first question is in three words: How would you describe the experience you're having on this earth? In three words, um, it's been great. <laughs> Beautiful, and we spent a lot of time. Uh, visiting the past, visiting the origin stories that is the spirit you embody uh, right now. And I'm going to play with time again. I'm going to fast forward us in the future. I'm going to fast forward us into the future far from now when we're alongside an 85-year-old Catherine. Who is that 85-year-old Catherine? Where are you? Who are you surrounded by? And what is the legacy that you've left here on your time uh, in this realm? Um, I am surrounded by my friends and family. Uh, I want to raise awareness, um, for brain cancer. That's my main legacy that I want to leave. Um, maybe start a foundation at some point. Um, and what was the other question? <laughs> Where am I? What am I doing? Um, I am still performing, being mm -hmm. on stage and performing and till I die. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what it is. I mean, I can be performing in, in a wheelchair or not even be able to speak. I don't, I don't want to ever retire from doing that. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And the legacy that you've left um, the, with your being, but also just what is the message you're wanting to leave people that have experienced you on this earth? live today like it's your last i mean mm. that's that's how i'm living mine so live it as though it's your last day and i just want us to stay with this 85 year old catherine for one moment longer in the infinite now living this day her 85th day like it's her last and i'm going to bring us back to the present day and that 85 year old catherine she shares with you a gem of wisdom what does she share with you for the catherine today hmm, it's a good question keep on keeping on <laughs> keep on keeping on keep on beautiful, keeping on. beautiful closing words 
Um, Bianca, what are your closing words on this conversation well, today? I have a closing question before we, we yeah. end this. Oh, there's your alarm. <laughs> everybody listening, and before we say goodbye, I want to know where are you at right now in your health journey? Where, where do you stand? How do you feel in your body, in your mind, in your heart? Where I feel you? great. Yeah. <laughs> I had an MRI on the 20th, and because my oncologist isn't there, he took the holidays, and it was the only time I could get an MRI because I've been doing stand-in with... Uh, with uh, Derek. And uh, so I have to wait until December 7th to get my results. So it's a little bit of anxiety right now, but mm -hmm. I feel fine. Um, mm -hmm. My, I, you know, I'm triple vaxxed against COVID and, you know, so is my husband, my kids have one vax. And um, so it's just a matter of, um, of just enjoying what I have today. And I think that that's, I've said that so many times, but it's yes. enjoying what I have right now. And for, and I, I also take really good care of myself. Um, mm -hmm. I exercise every morning. I, I don't meditate, but that's my meditation. So just taking care of myself so that I can take care of the other people in my life. Beautiful. I'm so happy. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this today, to share some of yourself. Um, yeah, those were beautiful reminders on just enjoying the moment and enjoying the precious gift that we have to just be alive. We take it for granted so much. So if somebody listening to this can just like have the reminder that, wow, I'm alive today and I get to do something that I love and yeah. do something with this, this body and this life that I'm given. Yeah, it's just a re beautiful reminder you gave us. So, um, for everybody listening, we're we're all like sending you like massive amounts of love and, got it, got it. and <laughs> energy and just like yeah, you're glowing, beautiful, healthy, and um, we are so grateful that you shared some of your experience, yourself, and your wisdom with us. So thank, thank you, thank you, Bianca. Thank you, Derek. Absolutely. And for people wanting to connect with Catherine, they can find her on Instagram at Catherine Reefer. Um, anywhere else they can find you if they're wanting to just connect or learn more about you. I'm on Facebook, Catherine Reefer Ledlow. My, my last name's pretty easy to, uh, to find. If you just type in Reefer, um, you'll find me. So W-R-E-F-O-R-D. Mm -hmm. Well, a beautiful conversation. Like, and especially people that are going through um, brain tumors or cancer, um, uh, you can contact me through messages and stuff like that, because I'd be happy to help. And I have all the resources um, that I, I, I volunteer with the um, Brain Tumor Society of Canada. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I can reach out right to them and get help if, if it's a new diagnosis or if it's an old one that you just haven't really talked about much. So um, please reach out to me if that's what you're going through. So beautiful. Uh, to close every conversation, we bring our fist in together oh, yeah. for a digital fist bump. Boom. Boom. Welcome to the winner circle. A choice, <laughs> a choice we could all make yes, um, in the you. now. Yeah. Thank you so much, Catherine. All right. Bye. <laughs> thank you.